Thank you for joining me, Dr. Marie Haynes, in another episode of Search News You Can Use. What we're going to discuss today is everything that's important that's happened in the world of search over the last week. Those of you who have been following me for a while will know that I formerly was producing a newsletter every two weeks to keep you up to date with what Google's doing and what other changes you need to know. And we've changed that now so that we're doing it weekly. The team here at Tamari Haynes Consulting has grown. We're hiring new people. If you're interested in working with us, that would be awesome. Let me know. Um, and what that means is that we have more resources to pour into the newsletter. So we hope to be bringing you even better stuff in the, uh, the months to come. What we'll talk about today is some algorithm updates. We're going to get into some things that are really just included in the paid version of the newsletter. Uh, some interesting stuff about a new patent that Bill Swalski wrote about. Um, Rand Fishkin tweeted uh, a very interesting ranking mystery, so we'll talk about that. And I'm going to give my thoughts on disavowing, which are starting to change again. So those of you who, uh, again, have known me for a while know that uh, I have done a lot of work with disavowing and my thoughts are changing over the last couple of months on this so um, you'll want to pay attention to that. So let's start with algorithm updates and as I've described before Google has said that they make three or four algorithm updates a day but every now and then there's one that is a more serious update and those are the updates that we notice. So those of us who keep an eye on the search results in terms of what sites are seeing increases and decreases every now and then there are particular days where it just looks like a lot of sites were affected and it looks like we had another one of those. I talked in the last episode about April 16th 2018 being a significant algorithm update Update, and this really is shaping out to be quite a big one. I don't think it's quite as big as March 9th. Uh, as I said before in the last episode, the March 9th update and the April 16th update seem to be closely tied together. A lot of sites that saw changes on April 16th saw uh, really reversals of what happened on March 9th or changes that seem to be related to what happened on March 9th. There was another update though on April 23rd, 2018. And I can say this by looking at the analytics for, uh, we have access to Google Analytics profiles for hundreds of clients that we've worked with in the past. And uh, it's pretty obvious that a lot of sites saw increases or decreases on this day. Now, the sites that we saw, um, we had a number of clients that saw really nice increases, not like 200% increases, but a nice 30 or 40 percent boost or so. And these are all sites that have been working really, really hard for a long time at a number of different things to improve quality. An interesting thing to note is that I still think that the SEMrush data is off somewhat in terms of uh, picking up these new algorithm updates. Um, SEMrush, for those of you who are not familiar, really is a fantastic tool to check rankings, uh, to do, I mean, this is not a paid commercial for SEMrush, uh, but we use the tool a lot. Uh, and one of the things that we use it for a lot is looking at competitor sites where we don't have access to Google Analytics data. We can say, oh yeah, it looks like these guys were hit on this day. 
So we had tons of sites, well, not tons, but we had quite a few sites where we had seen a nice increase uh, starting on April 23rd. And for some reason, SEMrush is showing an increase that starts on April 26th. So who knows why, uh, who knows how they figure out. I know that their uh, estimates on traffic are based on keyword rankings that they can determine. My point is that if you're seeing changes on the 26th of April, this could have been something that started on April 23rd. And so the question that everybody wants to know is, you know, if I was hit on this date, what needs to change? And it's always hard to say initially when we see an algorithm update. What I can see, though, is that I do think that this is related to EAT, expertise, authoritativeness, and trust. And almost all of the updates that we're seeing have some sort of uh, thing to do with EAT. Um, I've talked about this a lot in the past. EAT, there are things you can do to improve upon your EAT, such as, um, you know, making sure that Google can see that you've won awards, that you've, uh, you know, you've been mentioned in authoritative places. But in a lot of cases, EAT is something that's hard to fake. If you're not an authority in a subject, it's very hard to just convince Google that you are an authority. So we'll keep an eye on these algorithm changes. Um, it's interesting to note that I have haven't had a lot of emails uh, about sites that have been hit. Usually when there's a big, big update, I get inundated with emails for people that want help. And so far, not so much. Now, it might be that uh, often there's a lag and usually a week or two after a significant update is when people start recognizing that things are in the toilet. Um, and so if, uh, anyways, if you have noticed that you've seen significant changes April 23rd, I'd love for you to uh, maybe comment on the newsletter or um, somehow get in touch with me. Uh, you can reach me at mariehaines.com slash contact just to let me know how things have changed. Um, it's always good to see the types of sites that are seeing improvements or, or, or getting hit because that helps us to uh, figure out what Google was going after in, in this update. Uh, next thing in the news is that Google is starting to send out emails now to tell site owners that they've been switched to mobile first indexing. So some of you are probably sick and tired of hearing about mobile first indexing. And some of you are probably saying, what on earth is mobile first indexing? I keep hearing about it and I don't know what it is. So just a brief summary for those of you who are still not uh, sure what's going on here. Right now, when Google crawls the web, they crawl your desktop version of your site. Now, in some cases, your desktop version and your mobile version are going to be exactly the same. If you have a responsive site and your menus are exactly the same and your links uh, on both mobile and desktop are pointing to the same places, you probably don't have to worry too much about mobile first indexing. I say probably because we have seen some sites where they have a responsive version of the site, but their menu or their navigation is different on mobile and sometimes lacking links to pages that exist on their desktop version. And I know I'm probably losing some of you here. It's really not that complicated though. What you really need to know is that when you get switched to mobile first indexing, Google is going to gather all of the information about your site from your mobile version. And what that means is that if you have information that is available on desktop, but not available on mobile, then you're not going to rank for that information even when somebody is doing a search from desktop. And that's very, very important. So Google's been saying for over a year now, maybe even two years, that they're going to start switching sites to mobile first indexing. 
Jennifer Slag from the SEM Post uh, noticed that um, people are starting to get some emails. Now, out of all of the sites that we have Search Console access to, which is quite a few, I have not received any emails yet. Uh, I know that some people have. I know Paul McNamara tweeted that he has received at least one email. Um, and so it's happening. Now, it's interesting because the site that Jennifer Slegg saw that got this email is a site that actually isn't mobile friendly. So how crazy is that? It's crazy because Google has said that they are only going to switch sites to mobile first indexing when they're ready to be indexed by mobile first. And if you're not mobile friendly, does that even make sense that they would be one of the first sites picked? So it, it turns out what John Mueller said is that the way they determine if you're ready is if the content is exactly the same. So this particular site, if they're not even mobile friendly, yeah, the content on desktop and mobile is the same. Um, John has said in the past that if you want to determine if your site is actually switched to mobile first indexing. Now, this was before we knew we'd get an email for it. There's two things you can do. One is look at log files to determine if most of the crawling that Google is doing is um, from Googlebot for smartphones. It gets a bit technical. Uh, Screaming Frog does have an add-on that you can purchase that's a really good log analysis program. I, I really like it, but for the average small business owner who's trying to make these decisions, it's probably not necessary to spend money on uh, an extra tool like that. Um, another thing that you can apparently do is look at the cache of your site, and you can see that by just putting in the word cache, C-A-C-H-E, colon, and then your URL. And that will show you what Google has cached for your site. And apparently, you should be able to see if it's the mobile version of your site that's cached. I have been searching and searching to find sites that are switched to mobile first indexing so I can see whether the difference is obvious in looking at the cache and I haven't gotten any yet. So if you do have a site that's you believe or that you've actually received the email saying it's switched to mobile first indexing, then let me know because I'd really like to take a look at the cache and see what uh, is different. The next thing we talked about is this new interesting thing. I don't even know if it's new, but uh, somebody noticed that uh, when they did a search on mobile for the weather, Google popped up this thing saying, hey, you were looking at these particular brand of shoes and we noticed that the price went down. So I don't know if that is a paid feature or not. Um, some people are complaining because here again, Google is just taking up all of the real estate in the search results. I mean, this search was nothing to do with shoes and yet it was drawing the uh, searcher back to potentially make a purchase on a, a site. I would think if I had an e-commerce site that this is something to pay attention to. I'm almost wondering if that's a schema thing. Uh, it's, it's hard to say. So that's uh, something to pay attention to for e-commerce for sure. Um, a few people tweeted again about this thing that Chrome is doing on mobile. This is actually not a new thing. It uh, was first seen, I believe Glenn Gabe tweeted about it back in September of 2017. Uh, but people are really noticing it now. And what it is, is if you go to particular articles, so one article that I gave in the newsletter was uh, Rand Fishkin tweeted about this uh, site that he was looking at that was talking about Avengers, the new Avengers movie. And at the bottom of the 
screen real estate on his phone, there's a little notification from Google that says more about Avengers Infinity War. And if you tap on that, you actually get taken to a new list of searches uh, to take you to other sites that are talking about this movie. So this is significant because sites here now are doing everything they can to be getting more visibility on mobile phones. Perhaps they've adopted AMP, uh, which is not a small feat. I mean, it's something that people have put a lot of money into uh, developing the technology for you to be AMP friendly. And now you do all the things that Google wants and then Google takes traffic off of your site because people who are clicking on this or tapping on this link to get more search results, they're not going to be spending time on your site. And so you've essentially lost visitors and uh, potentially money as well. I don't think there's much we can do about this. I would like to know how they determine which sites to include in uh, the recommended sites. I think that's something that perhaps we could take advantage of. I don't know whether, I don't think it's paid inclusion. Um, so it's hard to say. So we'll keep an eye on that, but it's something to, to be aware of for sure. There was uh, some discussion about some new types of featured snippets. So again, those of you who are new, the featured snippet is the box that often comes up as, uh, we call it the position zero result, um, basically before the rest of the search results. It's a box that essentially answers the question for you. Now, some of them, there can be answer boxes that are you know definitions. Um, featured snippets more are stuff taken from a website that says, it's usually a question. So if you ask, how do you tie a tie? And you'll probably see a featured snippet with instructions on how to tie a tie and a link to uh, the site that Google took that information from. This featured snippet that David Gray was talking about, uh, I believe the search term that he was looking for was something about garage renovation or garage conversions. And uh, what happened was the featured snippet had multiple areas in it. So it talked about design and cost. And uh, it was almost like a people also ask box, but every single result was a featured snippet with an image. Uh, it's hard to say, again, how do you optimize for that? I think that you could take all of that information. So let's say you were in the business of doing garage conversions. What you could do is take all of the information that's seen in the different featured snippets and make sure that that's all in your post. And I think that if you answer as many questions as people have about a topic, then you're more likely to be featured for that topic. So we'll keep a, an eye on that as well. It looks like there was a bug in Google image search uh, recently. I don't know if this has been fixed or not, but some people were noticing that when they searched for an image, the first three lines had the images as expected. And then beyond that, all of the images were just rectangles with uh, complete blocks of color. Um, so you couldn't see the image as well. The reason why I include this is that some sites do get a lot of search from image search. And if you saw a drop in your traffic coming from image search, it might be related to this bug. I've written about this on my algo update checklist. If you ever want to know, if you're trying to look at your traffic and see if maybe a Google algorithm update or a Google bug has affected your uh, traffic, you can go to mariehaines.com slash algo, A-L-G-O, and that'll take you to my post that lists the dates of all of these things. Uh, we use that multiple times a day when we're doing our site reviews, and it's totally free and available for everybody else to use as well. Another bug that we talked about as well is that apparently real-time Google Analytics are having some issues. 
Uh, Google says that they're looking into it. I don't know if it's resolved. It seems to be working fine for sites we monitor. For those of you, again, who are new, if you haven't looked at real-time analytics, you should. It's very, very addictive. So you just go to Google Analytics and you'll see the section in the sidebar on the left that says real-time. And that'll actually show you visitors in real-time while they're visiting your site. And uh, now it can be a bit depressing if you have a new site and that number is always zero. Um, but it's kind of cool. You can use it to test whether your tracking code is actually firing when you add it to a new site. So you can go to real-time analytics and then in another window, open up your site and you should see yourself as a visitor there. So, uh, but apparently that's been not working for some users. I would assume that that's been fixed by now though, because I haven't heard much outcry about it. I'm excited to see that SEMrush has raised $40 million uh, for a new expansion. I don't know what they're expanding into yet, but uh, that's exciting news. Um, I put this in the newsletter, although it's not specifically about SEO. There's a new version of Gmail coming, and I'm pretty excited about that. I've heard some feedback from people who have had access to uh, uh, early versions of this, and it sounds pretty good, so let's keep an eye out for that. Um, probably you guys know that it was uh, six years ago last week that the penguin algorithm was created. So I put a little happy birthday penguin in the newsletter and a little bit of uh, information on my story and how uh, penguin launched me into this career of SEO rather than being a veterinarian, which is a whole other topic to, uh, to talk about. Um, but most of you probably aren't saying happy birthday, Penguin. Penguin ruined the career of a lot of SEOs. It ruined the income of a lot of people too. Um, and again, Penguin, you know, it was a way to for Google to help fight the spam that's in the SERPs. And a lot of people would say, well, there's still spam in the SERPs, but it really, really is way better than it used to be. And uh, we'll talk in a minute about, again, this new patent that I think is related to Penguin. Uh, let's go a little bit into local SEO. Uh, we'll talk about Google Posts. And I think there's still a lot of confusion about Google Posts. These are something that you can create. They're very tiny, uh, very small word count along with an image. And you can add these to your Google My Business listing. And then they'll appear when your business knowledge graph appears. So that's the part that appears on the top right of a Google search uh, on desktop, um, usually up front and center on mobile. And uh, it's mostly when people are specifically looking for your business, but you really, really should be using Google Posts. And something that uh, was noticed by Mike Blumenthal is that, uh, and I don't know if this is a test or if it's happening for everybody now, but Google Posts are actually appearing right at the top of your knowledge graph listing. And this is a place again, where you can just shout about how awesome your business is. So everybody who has a Google My Business or, or basically a website that has a local presence should be using this. There's some information on Google My Business on how to get reviews removed from uh, maps. And I know a lot of you have had issues where maybe competitors have left a negative review for you, or uh, I've seen issues where somebody's left a review for completely the wrong business. I think uh, it might have been White Spark that had a review saying their steak was really bad or something, um, you know, and that it was an SEO company that doesn't actually. Uh, sell steak as far as I know. Um, so that's the type of thing you want to get removed. In the newsletter, we talk about all of the things that uh, make it possible to get a review removed. Um, 
some things like having sexually explicit content, hate speech, things like that. It can be done though. Uh, and sometimes though, you have to do, uh, you have to know the right people. Um, often posting in the Google My Business help forum can help, but you actually have to have proof. You can't just say, hey, I don't like this review. I want to get it removed. Uh, we had one, uh, we've had some reviews removed. We had one client who their competitor uh, had an employee who was um, continually making negative reviews uh, for this company. And, you know, rather than going through the channels in Google My Business, what we did was actually just call up this company and say, hey, did you know that your employee is making these slanderous reviews slander I think it's libelous if it's written down anyways they're making these bad reviews and uh, the the owner of that company was mortified and he instructed the employee to take them down and it was a misunderstanding um, and often that happens you know you just get one rogue employee who decides that they want to do something online um, and so sometimes just talking to people is the best way to get reviews removed um, not always the case though I found this interesting. Google, uh, my business has something called a works at relation, and there's really no documentation on this. The way I understand it is, uh, if you have multiple practitioners working at one clinic, so I think now I could be wrong on this, but I think an example is if you had a dental clinic and you wanted each of those dentists that work at the clinic to have their own Google, my business listing, then you can say this, these five dentists work at this clinic and that way each of those dentists if somebody is looking specifically for a doctor so-and-so they can still have a google my business listing and because they're sharing the same address as the dental clinic they're not going to be filtered out i believe that's what it is but they're really vague on the doc well there is no documentation for this um one last thing for local is that uh, Google My Business again tweeted that they've improved notifications for Q&A. Q&A is a part of the search results where people can ask you a question about your business and anybody can answer and they're super spammy. I've seen all sorts of uh, cases of people who have left just nasty things and then other people have answered with nasty things. Apparently now they're sending notifications for Q&A and in the email it tells you the customer name in the subject line. I don't know if that's helpful or not, but um, it's a new thing anyways. So let's talk a little bit about some of the things that are included in the paid version of my newsletter. Uh, and if you want to learn more about these, because I've written quite a bit of information on my thoughts on these. Again, you can go to mariehaines.com slash newsletter. Everything that I discussed uh, up to this point was included in the free version of the newsletter. And the paid version, uh, I think this month we have, a, or this week alone, we have 6,000 words of content. Uh, and it's all stuff to really, really help you uh, to do better in search. So one of the things that uh, I wanted to talk about was this patent that Bill Swalski wrote about. And uh, the patent is, uh, it's a continuation patent, which I don't understand a lot about patents. But the point is that Google was doing something and they decided that we want to keep using this patent and maybe expand upon it further. And it has to do with page rank. And so most of you know that PageRank is 
a whole series of calculations that help to determine where the authoritative pages are. And PageRank, when it first came out, was almost completely based on links. So if a high PageRank site linked to your site, that would help your site because the PageRank would flow from that site to yours. And so this patent talks about how they only want to pass PageRank through trustworthy sites. And they talk about this thing called seed sites. And what we don't know is how they determine what a seed site is. But this reminded me of two things. One is Penguin. And we know that Penguin changed in September of 2016. And what happened was Google said, we just got really good at ignoring links that are unnatural links. So we're not going to demote sites anymore for having unnatural links in the eyes of Penguin, at least. And we'll get back to that in a minute. Um, but instead, we're just going to figure out which links are the good links and only count those. So how do they figure out which links are the good links? I really think that this is where EAT comes into play. So EAT, again, expertise, authoritativeness, and trust. If your website has high EAT, so if you are known as an authority in your field, or you have writers who have years of expertise in the field, or, um, you know, just people think that this you're the most trustworthy site out there, then probably links from your site are going to be given more value, or at least they'll be counted. And so how does this change how we do SEO? It really shouldn't. The point is that uh, when you're getting links from uh, places where just anybody can get them, so places that post anybody's guest post, uh, places where you can make your own link, spammy directories, uh, spammy comment threads, things like that, you're not likely to be getting any equity from those links and Google is probably ignoring them. Um, and so instead you need to find places, you need to get links from places with high EAT. And I've mentioned this before, but one thing that Gary Ish said uh, from Google was that Google knows even which parts of which sites have high EAT. They know that the contributor section of Forbes does not have high EAT uh, because it's there's there's a low barrier to entry to become a writer in the contributors section. And uh, my apologies if I've insulted anybody who is a contributor to Forbes. I'm not, and so you have one up on me in writing for Forbes. The point is, though, that some bad apples spoiled it for the rest. And so Google knows that uh, people can buy links very e easily from that section. But they also know that there's a section of Forbes uh, that are journalists that just work full-time for Forbes. And they dig out the stories uh, and they write about um, news in a way that they're recognized as authorities on. And so some of those links are worth more than links from the contributors section. My point in saying all of this is that Google is getting better and better at determining where the real value is and what was created just for SEO reasons. And more and more, I would encourage, if your company is a company that has the budget to invest into PR, this is probably where some of your money needs to be going. You need to generate good press for your business. And I'm not talking about just putting out a press release so you can get links. You need to find ways to get people to seriously be raving about your business. And uh, that type of thing is what Google wants to recognize. We'll do a few more things here. Let's let's talk a little bit uh, about this mystery that Rand Fishkin tweeted about, about these Batali cinnamon rolls. So Geraldine, uh, who is married to Rand, wrote this really, really funny article, and it got a lot, a lot of uh, press um, and attention. 
And uh, she also wrote it on Medium. So Medium is um, a blogging platform where uh, you can get, you know, a lot of good attention there. And Medium has this thing where you can add a canonical tag to the head of the document. And the canonical tag can point to your own site. So without getting too complicated, the idea is that you're telling Google, look, we know that this article exists on Medium and it also exists on my site, but we want you to attribute all of this to my site, even though it's on Medium. And what should happen is that Geraldine's site should be the one that ranks number one and the Medium site should not be available unless somebody was specifically searching for the article on Medium. But what's happening is the Medium site is ranking first. So in the newsletter, we talk about a bunch of different theories that people had. Uh, somebody noticed that the canonical tag is not properly closed. It's missing a slash. Um, I think that search engines are pretty good at figuring out HTML errors like that. Uh, and I'll, I'll give away the answer here, although it's written in much more detail in the newsletter. And I believe that Patrick Stocks found the answer. And what it is, is that there's actually a script in the head of Medium. And John Mueller has said before that when you have a script in the head, it can break things so that Googlebot can't uh, see the rest of the head. And that means Googlebot didn't see the canonical tag. And because Medium has incredible authority, uh, I believe that Googlebot said that this was the originating source and that Geraldine's article was copying the original source. So um, in the newsletter, we talk about how to determine whether that's happening for your site. And I think anytime you have issues with a canonical tag or Google just not recognizing something that's in the head of your document, even a title tag um, or perhaps a meta description, then uh, that's something to look at. And uh, so my team and I are, are uh, we're going to add that to uh, our template for site reviews that we do uh, to just make sure that there's nothing in the head of your document um, of your pages that will uh, make it difficult for crawlers to see the rest of the stuff that's in that important section of your web page. Uh, and we'll talk about one more thing, and that is disavowing. Um, this sort of fits in with the whole EAT uh, and the patent that I talked about earlier. So we know now that Google is getting way better at figuring out which links to trust. And we also know that Google's getting way better at which links to ignore. And when Penguin changed, so when we had Penguin 4.0 in September of 2016, Google, all the Google employees were saying, look, Penguin just ignores links now. And then we would ask them, well, do we still need to disavow? And yes, I mean, if you have a manual action on your site, you need to be using the disavow tool. Um, but if you don't have a manual action, do you still need to disavow? And every time we ask the question, we get this vague response of, well, if it makes you feel better, go ahead. The thing is, if it makes you feel better, I mean, doing a good disavow can take a long time. It can cost a lot of money to do that as well. So I have been really reluctant to uh, charge money for disavows. And uh, there was a time years ago where my entire days would be made up of doing link audits. And sometimes I would file at least one disavow a day. Uh, and in the last two years, I've only filed a handful of, of disavows. And the reason for that is that I've been really reluctant to charge people uh, for a service that basically tells Google to ignore links that they're already ignoring. With that said, there was a really good case study that uh, I talk about in the newsletter where um, 
what they did was they had this site that uh, had very, very obvious unnatural links that they had paid for. They had paid a lot of money for these links. And um, you would say, well, shouldn't Google be ignoring those? But here's the thing. The links that Google is good at ignoring are the ultra spammy links. So if you get comment spam, if you get Viagra and porn spam, um, somebody trying to do negative SEO by spraying negative links at you, uh, that type of thing, that's, see, Google's going to ignore that. And it makes sense now because of this patent that we talked about, because the patent says, well, those sites, I mean, the the super low quality forums that have Viagra posts on them and then link to your site, those are not known as authorities. And so for the most part, Google's ignoring those. But this company had been purchasing links in a way that was really, really effective before. And when you look at their analytics, you can see that when Penguin 4.0 came out, they actually saw an increase in rankings. And that's because they had previously been suppressed by Penguin. This gets a bit complicated. With Penguin 4.0, that suppression lifted off. And so they actually saw an increase. The question, though, is, um, you know, whether they could see more increase. And I believe there was more, there were more details. The traffic dropped at some point. And, um, and eventually, to cut a long story short, they did file a disavow with a number of uh, paid links in it. Um, and these were probably very difficult to disavow because a lot of money went into making these, a lot of time went into making these, but these were primarily paid keyword anchored links uh, that were made for SEO reasons only. And after this disavow was filed, they saw really, really nice increases in organic traffic. Now, this is just one case. Um, we have another case that's similar though. And so we did have one site where we said, okay, you have a ton of links that are at risk for giving you a manual action. And so we advised on disavowing. Uh, we did file a disavow and we're continuing to see really, really nice increases after filing this disavow. So I have a couple of more sites that we're currently doing link audits for uh, that I feel are going to see similar increases. And once we get a little bit more data behind us, uh, we'll uh, create a post with more thorough uh, things on my thoughts for disavowing. So if you are trying to decide whether to use Google's disavow tool, I would say that you can ignore it if you have ultra spammy links. If you've looked at your link profile and there's a bunch of just foreign, uh, you know, just super spammy links, you can really ignore those. I mean, again, there's no harm in disavowing as long as you know what you're doing, but ignore those. But if you have a history of links that you paid for or links that an SEO company made uh, that were made just for SEO reasons, then you really should consider using the disavow tool. I do believe that there are algorithms outside of the Penguin algorithm that um, can make it so that Google distrusts your link profile. And when we disavow, we take that level of distrust away. So it'll be interesting to see over the next little while uh, whether anything changes and uh, whether we can see improvements after filing a disavow. And that's all we have for this week. So stay tuned. We're going to try to do this every week. I would love to hear your feedback. You can reach me at marie at mariehaines.com or I'm on Twitter at uh, marie underscore Haynes, H-A-Y-N-E-S. And uh, I look forward to hearing from you and wish you the best with your rankings this week.